Welcome to the 12th episode of the Cornell Policy Review Podcast. My name is Agosa Asimona, and I am the Senior Content Editor at The Review. This podcast will explore a variety of policy issues through interviews with figures from around the world. In this episode, Ming Li Gao sits down with Don Gianpietro, the Assistant Commissioner of Business Incentives and Business Regulatory Reform at New York City Department of Small Business Services, to discuss his work in retaining and attracting businesses in urban areas and streamlining regulatory efforts within municipalities. We hope you enjoy. Mr. Jan Pietro, thank you so much for being here today. I'm very excited to learn more about you and the work that you do. Today, we're living in an era where small businesses are also considered a major driver in economic development, and cities such as New York City is considered one of the most diverse, viable cities in the world. So could you tell us a bit about your role as the Assistant Commissioner of Business Incentives and Business Regulatory Reform? Yes, thank you so much for uh, taking time uh, to speak with me today. Uh, yes, as Assistant Commissioner, uh, I have a portfolio of programs that are designed to help retain and attract businesses to city to, um, to New York City specifically. And also we look at ways to streamline uh, regulatory efforts within the, within uh, municipalities such as New York such as New York City specifically. But to speak more broadly, uh, we notice that incentives themselves, coupled with regulatory reform can be used to help businesses grow and expand, especially uh, for cities that are older and have transitioning neighborhoods. Uh, there are times when businesses are encouraged uh, because of lease pressures and the like to change locations, or we may want to attract businesses to cities. And we notice that we need, we would perhaps like them to move or drive them towards certain areas that are growing or more conducive to their types of businesses and, and tax incentives can be used this way. And I also um, have a, a portfolio where we look to see how we could make it easier and more efficient to do business where multiple agencies might actually have a, a authority or review over the same particular function or requirement to see if there's ways to collaborate and reduce steps for businesses. So that's what I basically have uh, as kind of my ballywick for yeah. what I do. Well, that's really interesting. So uh, in business incentives and business regulatory reform, you have been managing business incentive programs used to attract, retain, and grow commercial business within large urban areas such as New York City. So what do you think is the most critical issue in incentivizing business growth in urban areas right now that needs attention from our policymakers in this country? I think one of the things, especially for cities that are transitioning and modern, or, or I'd say older modern cities, is uh, to look at the, um, the way land use is applied, uh, especially in areas that are evolving in certain neighborhoods. Uh, looking at a um, commercial industrial to residential conversion, uh, B, uh, attracting large uh, corporate headquarters and the like in this impact on neighborhoods and traditional uh, smaller businesses, smaller mom and pops may be used, or in uh, traditional industrial businesses. As I often state, 
There are those who may think that traditional manufacturing may have left the United States or certain uh, East Coast cities, but in actuality, oftentimes it's staged and we, our cities uh, may still have the first two or three stages right. of an industrial process, prototype yeah. development alike, and these still need space. Uh, and then third, uh, the general inflationary pressures that cities have in housing yeah. uh, and how housing can complement uh, transitioning neighborhoods. And I think those are some of the bigger issues, commercial lease pressures, uh, residential uh, pressures in housing, and how to allow for new industries to function and grow in evolving and transitioning neighborhoods. That sounds really nice. So speaking of this um, point that you mentioned just now, you have also helped design several key business incentives and economic development programs. Um, so what are the key factors that you considered when designing these economic development programs or considering regulatory reform? I'd say concerning the programs, one would need to look at the actual businesses Again, uh, my, my history has been with business. Looking at the constituents and the clients uh, that one is targeting, uh, what are their needs, uh, how, uh, what are their growth uh, projections. Uh, oftentimes there are industries that would like to stay or grow, but perhaps they need to change or evolve. Uh, perhaps there are areas of the city that are better suited. So that speaks to the second issue that we consider geography right. and neighborhoods. Uh, is this underlying zoning uh, that is necessary uh, still conducive for this type of industry? Is the zoning going to change as part of a long-term plan? What are the resiliency, that's third, what are the resiliency options that are necessary? Many cities have coastal conditions that may need to change or be modified to accommodate uh, continued commercial activity, including residential activity. Specifically, there are areas that might fall on a waterfront below the floodplain, and there needs to be some type of resiliency effort. So those are the uh, items that I consider. In addition, what are the industries that would uh, benefit the long-term growth and health, and provide jobs, livable wage? And then on the regulatory front, what program, what, um, modifications are necessary in how we uh, actually regulate businesses across different agencies. As I alluded to before, are there, agent, are there multiple agencies that oversee the, or regulate the same item? Uh, is there, are there laws that could be amended to consolidate regulations and make it more efficient? Also, are certain policies anachronistic and uh, need to be modified to adjust to contemporary conditions and business activities? That sounds really nice. So creating economic security within a municipality inevitably entails a multitude of actors and an agency. And you mentioned that before, that many agencies may target on the same thing. So can you share more about the process of working across different states and city departments? Do collaborations happen often? Yes, they actually do. Uh, and uh, actually, even uh, in a, a prior experience, I had worked for a, lar a large concern for state and uh, national tax practice 
And there, it was often and very common uh, an occurrence where we would need to work both with the state and the local municipality because some of the legislation impacting the municipality was actually enabled or approved at the state level. And there are certain items such as real property taxes that might be at the local level, but others such as corporate or unincorporated business taxes that are at the state. And at times there are certain tax incentives that are used by a city uh, that will be applied against the corporate or unincorporated business taxes that needs to be amended at the state level. So oftentimes we have to work with both state and local representatives uh, and independently uh, in a staged process receive approval for our idea, policy change, or tax credit or incentive, both at the city and local level, and then once approved, and refine, and then we bring it to the state. This other, also I want to underscore that we need the local uh, representatives, the business owners in the community to also uh, have uh, ownership and also inform the policy. So it's not only state and city officials, but I noticed even in, in other states and across the country, right. often you need the local representatives, community boards, uh, local business owners, chambers of commerce to also inform policy change. And uh, you want to respond to any issues or concerns they have. That's a really important um, insight. So you have been working to make government more effective and efficient for small businesses. So what does um, this initiative look like and how is it expected to work? Uh, this actually speaks to something that's happening across many cities. And as I said, some of the older modern cities, I've seen this in areas in Canada and other cities of the United States, even in Europe, uh, cities in Italy, where because the uh, the proliferation of regulations and the increase of agencies, similar to what I was uh, speaking to, sometimes there's redundancy, right. duplication. Oftentimes, for a positive public purpose, some of these regulations were put into effect for safety, mm -hmm. uh, to review, for instance, how grease traps in restaurants yeah. are cleaned, the health of health inspection of kitchens. Um, but what has happened is I've noticed that many of the agencies have a portion of the process of approval. Some of them approve the same, same issue, i.e. Uh, one city actually has one agency approving uh, radiators and heating systems, as so does another agency. So collectively to work together, A, identify, uh, and inventory the program, uh, the regulations, B, see which ones are redundant or duplicated, uh, also see what are needed for public safety, uh, which require changes in legislation, and see if we can consolidate them. And also this entails bringing the multiple agencies together to see if we can streamline process and protocol. And so that's typically what the initiative looks like first. A, knowing the lay of the land, inventorying, knowing the programs, knowing the true concern why these regulations and programs are developed, and then three, seeing which respective agencies have ownership and oversight, and then four, seeing where there is common uh, process steps that can be collapsed so we don't have duplication of effort. That sounds really interesting. So 
for these uh, kind of implementations. So what do you think is the most challenging part about working with policymakers on economic development issues and how do you manage it to reach optimal results? Mm -hmm. um, so what I think is the most challenging part about working with policymakers on these issues? Yes. I think that, um, and I don't know if it's challenging, it's informing. And I, I, I was speaking earlier uh, to another group where balancing, I think one of the biggest challenges is balancing. Balancing resources, balancing the, the needs of the different constituents right. or, uh, or those that the policymakers may represent. If they do represent a particular item, sometimes policymakers are those that are truly representatives uh, in the city council or an assembly. Others may be policymakers uh, who work within a civil service uh, environment that have expertise in different programs and how programs work. Right. Policymakers also can be representatives from the community themselves. I often they're not often included, but again, as I said before, they help inform and. I think that the challenge is understanding the respective goals of each, see if there's a commonality, right. understanding the perspective that each brings, not to be biased. Right. Oftentimes, each individual comes with a particular uh, understanding of the issue that may not be shared by the other. Right. And that is one of the things that one needs to understand, listening. And then what I found very helpful is gritting it out almost um, uh, as a table where you have the similarities mm -hmm. and where you have the differences. And then we look at the various risks and rewards. Uh, and then whose position or whose positions may be shared among these mm -hmm. that kind of allows us as a group to review and debate. So that's been helpful, like to have tools, optical tools, to visualize the similarities. And then for each person, even the one who represents a particular issue, to see the risks and the rewards. Because oftentimes people don't look at their own position with risk and reward. Sometimes there may not be a risk or a reward. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's something. Like, similar, like a Venn diagram in some way. Ah, that's mm -hmm. interesting. <laughs> so I know like working with policymakers can be challenging in some way, mm -hmm. but in another perspective, it's also re very like rewarding. It is rewarding. Also, it's great because to have, you know that these are some of the players that have impact. Right. And that one of the benefits is that you're, you are actually, one is actually informing not only uh, the policy uh, currently, but potentially the domino effect of what that policy will have uh, in the future. For instance, if you are looking at resiliency measures of an area that may be under the flood zone, that a policy may actually help a neighborhood survive of the next flood or uh, allows for the implementation of new technologies that hadn't been contemplated uh, and greening, uh, solar roof, bringing hardware and equipment, HVAC systems from below base in the basements of many um, buildings that might be on a waterfront to above, and also to see uh, what the cost. That's what I also noticed some, uh, that one always needs to consider, the potential cost of recommendations. Oftentimes recommendations are, have been uh, postulated or presented 
but there isn't the cost benefit. So I noticed that that, for to reach an, like an opti optimal result in discussion, it's always good to have an idea, but with some homework regarding cost, and as I, and it goes back to like risk, if, and then who would be, who or what would be impacted and how? Well, that sounds really nice. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your experience in urban business services. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cornell Policy Review Podcast. If you are interested in receiving notifications for future podcasts and articles, please subscribe to our mailing list on the Cornell Policy Review website. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter.